This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Body to Burial. I'm Mariah. And I'm Nikki. We're just two regular true crime junkies who decided it was time to see crime from a new perspective. This is Body to Burial. All right. We're going to be talking to, ready for it? I'm ready. I'm ready for today. I hope it's a good one. She's going to be good. I think so. Her name's Crystal and she's an entomologist. I don't know what that is. What is that? That sounds very fancy and something I should know, but I don't know. It's like bugs. Um, Forensic. Let let me get this straight. Okay. It's like forensic bug, you know, things that have to do with bugs and decomposition. I'm thinking this is what I'm thinking. I don't know. And she'll have to like clarify for us. So simple, simple version is she... She knows bugs. Yeah, bugs that that have something to do with like maybe the decomposition of a body or like I'm thinking Silence of the Lambs and I know that that's not like, you know, <laughs> where they just like pulled out the like moth yes. or whatever that was. Like remember in the throat how they did that? Yeah. Spoiler yep. alert if nobody's even watched that. If but you I feel like everyone has. It, you're just like, yeah, if you haven't, you really need to get caught up. And go exactly. Watch. So that's what I'm thinking, like, is maybe that, like, maybe there's crimes that involve, like, bugs, or if it's just, like, someone's decomposition, and now they can tell how long they've been dead because of the bugs. Okay, I'm going to tell so you I'm not right sh- now, this I'm not sure which one is it a is. hard no. This is a hard no. You think? Bugs in me. I can't do bugs. No. No. Ugh. Like, like my skin right now bug. is like crawly already. And I haven't even heard her talk. I could do a bug one. One bug is okay for me. I feel like I can't do like a grouping of bugs. Like, like if you I mean, open a on, cabinet. Nikki, and- like imagine she like pulls up a shirt and like there's all these like maggots like moving around. Like it looks like that's like what I'm picturing no. in my head. Just like because let me tell you. Moving. When we lived in San Clemente, we had like, they had like the um, condos tented and I think something obviously was living in the attic above our room. And all of a sudden, like days later, the smell comes in and I'm like, what the hell is this? Then out of the light fixtures in the bathroom, maggots started to fall. Like, no, like dropping that, 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 that on the floor. No, okay? then the, then the flies came to where we couldn't even sleep in our bedroom because, and they weren't like normal flies. They were the laziest, like fattest flies to where I could take the vacuum and like suck them up and they wouldn't fly away. It was the weirdest thing ever. And then the smell on top of, so it went from like the, the larva to the like, then the flies. So obviously something was de- decomposing in the attic above oh the like God. bathroom or in my bedroom. I hope it wasn't or a body. No, I think it was like like a rat or maybe Ugh. like a family of rats. Like it was something <gasps> to where, I mean, I never peeked my head because then I was afraid of like what was in there. Something Fair. died in there. That's apparent because the smell, I've never smelled anything like it. Then I got like, these air fresheners that I thought would mask the smell, but it was just air freshener on top of the smell. It was funky for a week. 
like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. It was pretty insane. So I could only imagine if that was like a rat, what you have to see for a body. Yeah, no, thank you. You never know what it was. But all I know is there was a stages of decomposition and we experienced it within and a week. And you were witnessing it firsthand. Yes. When the maggots were falling from the light fixture in the bathroom. Ian, Because <laughs> I kept hearing this like, like little like slapping, like, like a wet slap sound. Makes me want to throw up. <laughs> makes me want to throw up. Here's a great maggot story. So... My girlfriend and I, long time ago, early 20s, we were at my, I was like, had just moved into this new house with roommates and she had come over and was helping me unpack or whatever. And she was like, hey, there's, it was around Christmas time. And you know how the Oreos come out with the like dipped Oreos during Christmas that are like white fudge dipped. Yeah. And she's like, hey, can I have some of these Oreos? And I was like, oh, they're not mine, but I don't. I don't think they'll care and I'll get them another box. So go ahead. So she likes opening them. She's so excited. And she's like, oh, these ones have sprinkles. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, excited. Um, So she starts eating them. And then all of a sudden I see her like out of like my peripheral run to my kitchen sink and she starts vomiting. And so I'm like, what is happening? The cookies were covered in maggots. Did she oh, eat one? sprinkle maggots? She ate, she like bit into it. Oh. She thought they were sprinkles. I feel like it would snap, like a snapping sound. I don't even oh. want to know what that felt like or sounded like. That is I'll never forget disgusting. it. I'll never forget disgusting. Why did you have maggots in your or just the Oreos? I mean, to be fair, again, I had just moved into this house and I was renting a room mm. and they were all boys. So I'm just assuming that they just like didn't shop much and maybe we're old or maybe it was a manufacturing production issue. And that is just into the box. I have no idea. Well, on that note, let's bring Crystal on and talk <laughs> some more bugs. <laughs> See, you what can't handle bugs. Oh, you no, can't, I can't handle bugs. And like, I I'm can't literally handle... like, I feel how you feel when we talk to like, yeah. You know, Jessica or yeah. um, Samantha. Like, I'm a little sweaty right now. My See? Like, I could use a Zofran. Like, yeah. still feel good. But let's bring her on. I'm pumped to do this. I'm here for it. All right. Let's call her. <laughs> Hello, this is Crystal. Hey, Crystal. It's Nikki. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. I have my co-host Mariah here with us, too. We are excited. I know um, absolutely nothing about your job, so I'm really excited to learn more about it. Um, I know Nikki is too. Um, So we could be totally wrong, but Nikki had like a rough idea of what maybe what your job entails. Nikki, why don't you tell her like what we were like thinking she does? I was thinking it was like, like, bugs are used in determining the decomposite decomposition of a body, then you could determine how long they've been dead. Is that true or no? That's, that's a great way to explain it. Yes. Yeah. So forensic entomology is um, more broadly just the application of insect evidence in an investigation. Okay. And so typically it's the medical legal aspect, which is death investigations. And so the insects are able to provide that information um, 
there's a, a few different terms that we can use, but I usually use the term uh, time of colonization. So the insects arrive fairly quickly after death, and we can determine how old they are and how long they've been developing on the remains to provide that timeline of how long the insects have been active and how long that individual has been dead. Okay. But your explanation was pretty great. Yeah, because so. I was wondering if it was it was either that, my two options were that, which I, I was leaning more towards that, or like... I was telling Mariah kind of like, you know, in Silence of the Lambs where they had the the insect in like, <laughs> I didn't know if it was like that or. Yeah, but I, figured, I, I haven't had a case like that okay. specifically where I just pull a moth out of someone's throat. <laughs> but <laughs> it, could still okay, happen. Good. it could come down the line, maybe. Yeah. OK, good. <laughs> now, how how did you get into that? I think that my initial interest in insects started very young. I spent a lot of time outside and was always collecting things. And uh, unfortunately, I have an allergy to all animals with fur and feathers. Oh, So when I was a kid, I couldn't have a traditional pet. But luckily, my family was very supportive (laughs) and let me collect insects and keep them as pets. Oh, wow. So from a young age, I I just had an interest in collecting insects. They never scared you? Mostly just for observation. No, no. I would be afraid they bite. I think the the childhood curiosity kind of takes over. Yeah. You don't you don't think about that until you're older and you realize potential dangerous insects <laughs> that are out there. Um, all, I can, all I think about when you're telling me that story is like how wonderful your parents are because <laughs> my son like wants reptiles and it's a hard no. Like I can't I can't even yeah. like walk down the aisle in the pet store where they keep the snakes because I'm like oh. afraid. So I'm just like <laughs> Yeah. I, your yeah. parents were so so good to be like, yeah, bring I'm in very all lucky. the bugs. Yeah. <laughs> when you got into like the forensics and stuff, did you know that this was even a part of it that they had um entomology? I did not. And I actually I had a very different career path in mind when I was in my undergraduate degree. I was a biology major, and I was pre-med, so I thought, oh, I'll go into medical school. This is what you do with a biology degree, and I had never heard of forensic entomology until my senior year. I happened to go to a forensic science symposium that was held at my university, and while at that symposium, I heard from a pathologist about maggots that are on bodies at autopsies, and I, it was pretty much right then and there that it clicked with me that, oh, this is something that interests me. This is a way for me to apply my passion for insects. And I ended up taking a year off after I completed my undergrad degree to find a master's program where I could do forensic entomology research. So just attending that one symposium really changed my entire trajectory. Yeah, that is great. That's neat. That's that, yeah, it's, it's like It's like it was meant to be for you with your beginning that's, and then for your job. That's what my mom always says. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. You mentioned that you work on death investigations with the police departments. How does that work? Do they call you initially like to the crime scenes or are you called and you meet them at like a morgue? Where in the process do you come in and walk us through what that looks like? Yeah. So that really depends on the agency and sometimes the experience that they've had with forensic entomology. So I'm lucky in Indiana, we have a lot of really receptive 
law enforcement agencies that want to use insects as evidence. And that's not always the case. Um, some departments, if they've never done it, they don't know that insects are a valuable part of physical evidence that can be used. So it usually depends. Um, I sometimes get a call when they're at the scene and they notice that there's insects and I'll try to get there as soon as I can. Can I ask a clarifying question real quick? I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, when we're talking about insects at the scene, is that insects only on the body or surrounding areas as well? It's, it's usually both. Okay. And it depends on how far along in the insect's development, whether or not they're still on the remains or if they've moved off of the remains. Okay. So it can be both. Mm-hmm. And so um, other times if I, I can't attend to the scene because it's either too far away or I have some other constraint, I will sometimes walk the investigator through the collection process on the phone just to make sure that they've collected all of the samples that I can use. Other times I get a call um, when the autopsy gets scheduled because they noticed that there were insects, but it was too late for them to contact or they didn't think about it until after the fact. And I will attend the autopsy and collect the insects there. Other times um, the investigators don't get in touch with me until after the evidence has been collected and they just say, we have this case and we'd like to bring you this evidence for analysis. So I can get contacted at various different times. Uh, throughout the investigation. I was telling Mariah that we had, um, it sounds kind of like this, we, we had the house tented. We, the, we lived in San Clemente and they had the condo tented. And I think something obviously was in the attic when, um, when, you know, it got tented and it died. And then I was telling Mariah that above the like light fixtures in the bathroom, maggots started coming down, like coming out of the, the light fixture. And then, like a day or two, a couple of days later, then these flies came and it was, so when you're talking about that, I was, I reminds me of then like where obviously something was in the stages of decomposition and yes. And then likely they moved off of the remains after they finished feeding and then they pupated and turned into adult flies. So okay. that's quite the experience. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and then I was telling Mariah that the flies were weird. They weren't like, and maybe it was just the early stages, but I, they were kind of lazy. Like they, they just didn't fly off. Like you could take the vacuum and just suck them up. And they didn't, they didn't like, they weren't like swarming and going crazy. Right. They were just like really lazy and you can suck yeah. them up. <laughs> it depends on, on the temperature. Uh, inside of your house. And also when they first come out of that um, pupil case, they are a little bit sluggish because their bodies are still kind of soft. Okay. So it takes them a certain amount of time for them to harden uh, before they can actually fly away. So when you're going to a scene, would the fly still lingering from a scene when they get to that point or would they be off and gone by then? Sometimes. So sometimes there are still flies that are adult flies that are arriving to the remains if it's still early enough in decomposition. Okay. Um, other times it's primarily the maggots that we're working with, but if the maggots have finished feeding, they'll wander off and they'll be in the soil or underneath the remains uh, or sometimes in the clothing of the decedent. Um, so it really just depends on, on how far along in decomposition and uh, in the developmental life cycle of those flies. Okay. What is the developmental life cycle because I'm trying to like picture yeah 
picture this. So yeah. the flies <laughs> arrive, like how off, like how quickly after someone has passed away, do we see like their arrival? And then what's yeah, the well, that depends. Yeah, that depends on a variety of different factors. Um, if the body is concealed in some way, uh, if it's placed into a, you know, an airtight um, container of some kind, if it's placed into a freezer or a refrigerator, that can restrict our insects' ability to access the remains. But they can arrive relatively quickly, and I know that there have been instances where within minutes after death, the flies arrive. And I know that when I do my research, we use pig carcasses as a, a proxy for human decomposition. And often when we're taking the pigs out to the field, there are flies that are following us, <laughs> waiting for us wow. to put those pigs down so okay, that I'm they can interrupt colonize. interrupt you again. Sorry, I'm going to probably do that a lot. So you're saying like minutes after potentially, this Some, is probably yes, a in very ideal conditions. question. But is the body, as soon as the body is dead, is it releasing some sort of gas or something that yeah. is attracting them right away? Yeah. So as soon as we die, uh, we start to decompose and the body's releasing compounds that uh, we don't have the ability to smell, but the flies do. Okay. And over evolutionary time, they have adapted to be able to pick up on that smell almost immediately. That's incredible. And so that's they can crazy. smell decomposition long before we can. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Well, that's what I was telling Mariah too about the little whatever's in the attic that yeah. the smell was something I had never smelled before. I mean, obviously that didn't happen right away. It was after like the maggots yeah. or after the flies. I'm not sure. I can't remember which part it was in the, the whole process, but like mm -hmm. it was a smell that I had never, I bought air fresheners thinking that would help, but then it made it worse because yeah. then it was like it, air freshener and then the smell. And then now yeah. I can never smell that smell air freshener again because it just brings me back to like right. whatever was in the <laughs> attic. I've had cases where people have tried to hide the smell of decomposition. I with don't think different you can. chemicals and cleaning products. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. All it does is it smells like decomposition plus the cleaning product. Yes. So it really <laughs> isn't effective. <laughs> it's unique. And it's, I would say the smell of decomposition depends on the animal as well, because the smell when I go to a scene or an autopsy is very different than when we do our field work with pig carcasses. Oh, really? And why do you think that's just because of like if an animal secretes that like like different co compounds? Um, I think it's probably uh, a lot of it has to do with the the microbes that are present on the body and probably the the diet. So depending on the animals mm. that we're using for different projects, that can affect the smell. I know animals that have fur smell very differently uh, compared to pigs and humans. Um, so I think it's probably a, a variety of different reasons for the smell. I mean, there's there's still those similar compounds that get released, but I think the overall profile that you smell is different depending on the animal. Wow. So you were saying the, the flies sometimes follow you guys out to the field with the pigs. So how long? So they follow you sometimes quickly, sometimes not, depending on if somebody's tried to like, cover, conceal the body. Um, right. And then once they get access to the body, they're laying eggs immediately. Uh, yeah. And again, that depends on usually the environment. So some of the flies show up to the remains uh, to use it as a food source. So they're drinking 
blood, or decomposition fluid. And the females that are ready to lay their eggs, they show up. Okay, I'm sorry. I have another question. I'm so sorry, Crystal. (laughs) I'm like an annoying toddler. You're like a fly. (laughs) I know. God, she's going to start like (laughs) swatting me away. Um, When you say that they're like drinking the blood and the decomp fluids, I'm trying to picture this in my head as you're telling me this stuff. So are they like crawling into the body through like the nasal cavities and stuff, or is it they're just sitting on top of the skin and absorbing Um, it through there? Yeah. So it depends on where the fluid is located, but they, they do go into those natural openings. Okay. And actually the natural openings of the face are typically one of the first places that the flies will deposit their eggs because it's a, it's a protective area for those eggs, which are fragile and prone to desiccation. So the flies put their eggs in the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the eyes, as a way to protect those eggs and ensure that that they'll be able to survive and hatch. So when you get called to the scene, the bodies are covered in maggots, and you said sometimes beetles, was that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, beetles also arrive. And so what tests are you performing, and what can we learn from those tests? Yeah, so uh, when I show up, I am looking to collect samples of uh, insects that are present on the remains. And I collect from different areas, different sites on the remains to make sure that I'm not overlooking any particular species. So typically I'll collect samples of adult flies that happen to be there, um, any adult beetles that I can collect, And then I'll start to collect um, some of the beetle larvae or the fly larvae. Um, And after I've collected those, then I move on to more stationary insects, like if there's egg masses or if there were pupae that had already formed. And so when I'm collecting, and that's primarily what I'm doing at the scene, is I'm observing, I'm documenting all of the different areas that have insect activity and I'm collecting those samples. And the samples that I collect, I keep some of them alive, and I will raise those maggots into adult flies because it's far easier to identify uh, the species when we look at the adult flies compared to the maggots. But I also uh, preserve the maggots at the scene as well uh, to stop their development so that when I get back to the lab, I can identify and determine how old those maggots are um, or how old they had been when I collected them. So I think the information that we're able to provide is once we know the species that has colonized the remains, and we have a lot of data about the development of different forensic species um, in different areas of the country. We can use all of that information uh, along with the weather data. So what were the temperatures and what was the weather like while the flies were developing on those remains? And we can bring all of this into calculations to provide that estimate of how long the insects have been active on the body and when was that initial time of colonization? When did the flies first get deposited as eggs on those remains? And sometimes that information is really helpful for investigative timelines for a minimum amount of time that someone has been dead. Have you been able to 
pinpoint exactly like with cases that you've worked on? Do you just have a general idea like from the flies and the larvae and the beetles? It's three days or. Yeah, we, we typically give a range. Um, I, I have to say in some of the crime dramas that I've watched, they give a very, very specific timestamp. Yeah. Um, I don't know anybody personally that would feel comfortable uh, giving a timeline down to the minute like that. Okay. Um, we typically give a range because our calculations, we have to consider that there could be some error. So we want to make sure that we're incorporating that in our estimates. And you don't want to overestimate. That's, I think, the worst thing that you can do is say, this person's been dead since this time. And then the investigator comes back and said, well, actually, we have witnesses that saw them alive at that time period. So so we typically give a range. And I I make it very clear in my reports, this is the minimum amount of time that the insects have been active. I can't speak to what happened to the remains before this because, as I mentioned, factors like concealing the remains— uh, or freezing them, or having them in a in a place where insects can't access, that can obviously affect that timeline. So I'm able to provide that minimum amount of time that the insects have been active on the remains. But it's always within a range. It's never a to the minute or to the hour. So, what do you think is one of the things? Um that is like the biggest misconception of your job, maybe even with working with the police department, is there some sort of information that they expect that you can just easily figure out and that's just not how your field works? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the biggest misconception that I see both in in law enforcement and on TV is the timeframe. They expect you collect your evidence and you analyze it sometimes within a couple of days. And provide a report. And with live evidence like our insects, there is a delay because we have to wait for them to continue their development. If we're going to raise them from eggs or maggots up into adult flies. So there is that that delay in time. And I, I sometimes get asked to work on cases and two days later get a phone call. Okay, is your analysis complete? Do you have that report? And I have to explain that no, unlike what they show on TV where they you have all of the answers and everything's resolved within an hour, um, it takes a certain amount of time uh, for these flies to develop. It takes time to get them under the microscope and identify, get all of the weather data that I need um, to be able to provide that timeline and finalize that report. So I think that that's usually one of the, the biggest misconceptions is how long it actually takes to do this work and what the turnaround time is. And this is another thing that I'm curious if you can figure out just, so like, let's say there was like a crime committed in Tennessee and somehow they relocated the body to California. Um, Again, would you be able to look at like, oh, this, you know, body had remnants of this species, which isn't native to California. So this body was moved to this location. It didn't, necessarily like the crime wasn't committed here yes um, that could be something that we could determine if the body had been colonized by insects that were specific to like a region different region yeah yeah so we do have some of our blowflies that are pretty common across the country so we could get them in california as well as in tennessee um but there are certain certain species that are um 
located in, in different regions. So that is That's a possibility. Cool. Because I was telling Nikki, like, I hate bugs. I absolutely hate bugs. Like uh, when she was telling me who we were talking to, um, we were talking about it and just my skin is crawling already. Like before we had even <laughs> started the conversation with you, but I just imagine like walking in for the first time into a crime scene. And I had read a book um, months ago about uh, a medical pathologist in New York. And she described one of the first incidences she had with bugs and how it looked like um, the clothes were moving because there were so many maggots underneath. And I just can't like, was there ever a case that you worked where you were like, I'm going to have to step outside for a minute because I feel like I'm going to vomit. Like, have you ever experienced too many bugs? Um, I no. I think I have a pretty strong stomach for that. And I, I have definitely led law enforcement trainings where <laughs> some of the law enforcement have had quite an issue with the maggots. And yeah. I, I find that when I give lectures, People are okay if you're talking about death and you're talking about decomposition, but as soon as you put a picture up that has maggots, yeah, the visual. that's the line where people are like, oh, no, not okay with the maggot part. Um, personally, no, I haven't encountered an issue of too many maggots, and especially in some of our research projects, there's tens of thousands of maggots that are just blanketing the animals. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have that issue, but... For me, I think the some of the obstacles are the the emotional aspect, um, which is something that when I work a case, the only way that I can get through it is to compartmentalize and to um, not think about the person um, as a person. I have to treat it as this is a job. This is just like a research project. I have to collect these insects. As soon as I start to think about their loved ones or their family members or the life that they had, I, that just takes me into a completely different headspace. So for me, I have to compartmentalize while I'm working um, and then process that emotionally after the fact because all of the, the decedents that I've worked on, they're all people that have loved ones somewhere and something horrific has happened to them. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that the information that I can provide in terms of a timeline is something that's helpful to the family. How many entomologists are there within United States? Like, is there a lot of you or is it a very small, small field? Yeah. So for forensic entomology specifically, it's, it's a very small field. Um, so I'm, I'm currently the treasurer of the North American Forensic Entomology Association. Okay. And so I actually handle membership for our organization. <laughs> and so we typically have between 80 and 120 members. And that includes um, forensic entomologists as well as the students that they're training. Wow, that so, is not that much. Not not very many. Um, yeah. But we're, but we're a great group <laughs> and we yeah. cover a lot of ground. So, <laughs> so are people calling you from different... Um, different counties and different states for your your advice or, or your expertise on cases? Yes, yeah. So most of the cases I work are in Indiana, but all over the state. Okay. And then I also provide trainings and work on cases in the surrounding states in the Midwest. Okay. So I train the coroners in Illinois, um, some in Indiana and in Ohio, and I train investigators in, in different areas as well. Wow. But in the U.S., forensic entomology is still one of the younger 
fields of forensic science. And it wasn't really until the 1980s that the field started to grow and started to be taken seriously in the legal system. So it's still relatively young. Yes. And how come just because they didn't think that that was would be a strong enough like I think or something if I had to guess there just weren't enough people that were working in that area to really advocate for the field. And I I find that I often do that as well when I'm working with a new department. Um, I have to give them kind of a pitch of here's what forensic entomology can do for you and here's why you should take insects seriously. And so, you know, investigators see horrible things and horrible scenes, but they also, many of them don't care for maggots. So (laughs) they get grossed out by it as well. Um, And historically, uh, before an autopsy would begin, I'm talking years and years ago, not in current current times, hopefully, um, they would wash the body. And so they would remove all of the insects and other potential evidence just to have it cleaner for their examination. So, so historically, insects were not really taken seriously as a form of evidence. Crazy. Yeah. I think let's move over to um, the other section of our podcast. It's real quick, Crystal. We won't take up too much more of your time. We just kind of okay. like to end um, all of our episodes with just some kind of fun, lighthearted questions um, that kind of help us get to know you a little better. What is something that you hoard? Other than insects, you mean? Uh, yeah, um, other than insects. <laughs> <laughs> geez, I was quite a collector as a kid, and I think that definitely helped me in my career. But I'm also a big fan of horror movies, and I okay. collect um, original horror movie posters, uh, specifically from the 60s and 70s. So I wow, think that's one, that's one thing hoard. that I hoard as well. Yeah. That is cool. Do you have them like framed and displayed or do you just like keep them in a box? Um, I have some of them framed, um, but others that I, I just haven't gotten around to framing yet. So, but is yeah, horror movie one, good horror. related. Is there one that you really want that you haven't been able to track down? Oh, you know, so this is, I don't think it falls into a horror movie, but I'm a big fan of the movie uh, Beetlejuice. And so I would love love to have an original Beetlejuice poster. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good one. (laughs) That could be your theme song, actually. I can hear it. The little jingle of when he, like, comes the beginning opening of that movie. If Danny Elfman could make the music for my life, I would be very happy. So, absolutely. That would be a great person to, like, make that soundtrack. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a good theme song. I could hear it, too. (laughs) What are your hobbies besides bugs? Yeah, so I um, I call them my my old lady crafts. Uh, I okay. like to cross stitch and crochet. Okay. Um, yep. And so I have cross stitch. I'm looking. I'm in my office right now, and I've cross stitched quite a few insect related pieces. Um, nice. Yeah, but I I crochet mostly blankets. Um, I'm horrible about finishing them if they're for me, but I'm great about <laughs> finishing them if I'm giving them away as a gift. Okay. There you go. Yeah, and I also I love to to cook and bake, and I, I get that from my mother for sure. So nice, yeah. Those are good hobbies. Yeah, I just started making those chunky blankets, like oh, where you nice. uh, and I mean, there's no tools to it. You just use your fingers and use your, your hands. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love it. It's so fun. I really like it. I find That's it relaxing. relaxing. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What 
is your favorite snack? I'm typically a sweets person. Um, so anything chocolate related, milk chocolate related. Um, but if I'm trying to be healthy, I think one of my favorite snacks are dates, dried okay. dates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are great. I've never had a date, to be honest. You've never oh, had they're a delicious. date? <laughs> they're oh delicious. Oh my God, Nikki, they're so good. <laughs> I feel like colors and shapes and textures really scare me off on a lot of things. Like I just started eating avocado not too long ago. Nikki is like the world's pickiest eater. She eats like horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to have a date. It's like, it's a good substitute in a lot of recipes for like, um, chocolates and stuff. So mm -hmm. like you can make like brownies really? out of dates. It's really they're very sweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're good. Yep. I felt like they were more like, I always assumed a date was a prune. No, they're completely different. Yep. Okay. Different then maybe I'll try it. <laughs> I'll make you some, some brownies. They're really good. Okay. I always thought it was a prune though. No, completely different. If they were, if you were to star in a crime show about your job, who would you want to play you? Oh, you have all the good questions. Um, I'm trying to think. A lot of the movies I watch are so old that these people wouldn't even be around anymore. One of my, my favorite actors was Vincent Price, um, who okay. did a lot of horror movies in the, the 60s through the 80s. Yeah. I think he has a great voice. I would love, if he was still around, <laughs> I would okay. have to pick Vincent Price because I think he would be a great job at representing that. That line between uh, people usually think that we're creepy, I think, in forensic entomology, but he straddles that line between creepy and cool. So, yeah, <laughs> I could see that. Well, I was going to ask you what your favorite TV show is, but I feel like I kind of know what you like now a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't have a whole lot of time for TV. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, especially okay. when I'm driving. Um, what's your favorite podcast? What's your like number one go-to lately? Uh, I've been listening to one that's actually based out of Indiana. Uh, it's called crime junkie. Yeah. And, I love yeah, crime junkie. Yeah. yeah. So one of, yeah. one of them, Ashley flowers, uh, lives in Indianapolis and then her co-host, uh, Brittany, I think lives in Muncie. So they're both pretty close. So I started listening yeah. to that show a few years ago and slowly getting caught up through the episodes. Awesome. Uh, what profession would you tell dinner guests you do if you don't want to spend the night talking about your job? I would just say that I'm a professor. Okay. <laughs> That's probably the easiest way. And I, I just had this conversation the other day. Somebody said, oh, what do you do? And I was like, do you have time? Because <laughs> kind, of kind of a long explanation. And even if I say yeah. forensic entomology, well, what is that? And then you have to explain how insects are useful. So if I didn't want a lot of questions, I would just say I'm a professor. There you go. That's fair. That's an easy one. <laughs> All right. My last question is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self if she would listen? Because we all know. Yeah, <laughs> that's a different story. 20-year-old me. Uh, so I, I consider myself an organized person and a planner. And I had a very specific plan of what my life was going to be and what it was going to look like. And obviously that plan completely changed just from me attending one forensic science symposium. And so I think my 20-year-old version of me, I would have encouraged her to be more open-minded and not to be afraid to change that plan. Because I thought I had to go through this one track. Well, I'm a pre-med major. I have to go to medical school. That's the only option. And I didn't 
uh, really consider anything else because I thought, well, that's my plan and I need to stick to that. So I would encourage myself to be more open and let her know that it's okay if your plans change. So that's great advice. That's, that's great advice because I do think you hit the, the nail on the head there that a lot of, um, when you set out, you think that you're supposed to know everything that you're, you're going to do and that you have a plan, you have to stick to it. And if mm-hmm. you said when you were a senior in high school that you're going to be a doctor, then that's just what you have to do. And I think sometimes if you feel, um, pulled to like deviate from that, you might feel like you're, um, failing or making a mistake, yeah. but I think exploring is healthy and should be encouraged. It is, especially at that age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't have to know it all. Not yet. No, nope. <laughs> thank you so very much for yeah, taking thank you. The time to thank speak you. with us. I learned a sure. ton. Um, I loved it. I yeah, thought it was, it was fun. Such a great conversation. We really appreciate you and what you do. Well, thank you so much. It's it's nice that you had questions and that you were interested to learn more about this field. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, I really like it. I well, bugs don't freak me out too much. I only like like I can't do groups of bugs, but I can do like one or two. Well, I that's can't a start. do like a swarm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would never be able to do your job. So you are a hero in my eyes. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's still too buggy for me. Is it? It's too buggy. I couldn't. It That literally, I would walk into a crime scene and vomit. A hundred percent. Maybe because no I way. haven't seen like the no full amount. Way. I mean, literally like <laughs> hundreds, hundreds. I feel like little this, I feel like this, your flesh. Yeah, that would stress me. I feel like the sound like. I can't. Like the sound would like be the noise. Like, you know that there's like some micro little noise that your ear is picking up. And then the real question is, does she go home feeling like there's bugs crawling all over her? Because that's the next thing I would be thinking. It's like when you bump into someone and you're like, they like say mm. they have lice. So then instantly oh. your head starts to feel itchy. Oh, you so just said it like and I'm I scratching. <laughs> literally. I'm not kidding. Like, so I feel like I would be in this room and then I'd be like driving me like, ah, like. You know, like a flea, them off. like a flea, yes. like I flip when I see like our dog, we obviously don't have a dog now, but when we had our dog, it, he got fleas once from the, the pet, you know, park or whatever and killed me. I was a freak about it. I felt like it was in my carpet. I felt like it was everywhere. Oh, like, I just feel like I would like be driving home and literally be like. I have one on me. I have a client that I was doing her hair and I was brushing it out. I had my assistant wash her. So she shampooed her, then brings her to my station and like sets her up. And then I go to like section her hair to like start the cut. And I'm like, and my, and my assistant's like, yeah, she had some dirt in her hair that I couldn't get off. So I did it. I tried to get it, you know, a couple of times. I'm like, okay, that's weird. And so then I started sectioning. It's literally going to make me scratch as I'm talking about it. So I section and then I st- take my comb and I see this like speck of dirt she's talking about. Cause she's, she's older. She has gray, gray, like white hair. So you can really see everything. How big of a speck are we talking? I don't even know. Like, like maybe like, um, like a sand, like a little dirt clot, like a crumb, like a crumb, like a little smaller than a crumb maybe. Okay. 
So then I take my, the end of my comb and I'm like, you know, I like, I'm trying to get it like what? And then I get a little closer and I, and I put my, like, like the little hard part of the comb, like dink and it moved and no. it slides. So then no. I noticed that her head was infested with <laughs> So I had to stop immediately. Okay. And I was like, listen, uh, yeah. I'm going to have to put a cap on your head. So I put a cap on her head. I found some olive oil in the, um, that we had in like the break room and I put olive oil all over her head cause it supposedly suffocates the, the lice. And then, uh, but then in the meantime, there are places, hair salons that you could do, go to that are strictly lice yes, removal. I've seen those. Why yes. do you work there? I don't know, but maybe you're like a hair school reject. Uh, or maybe you're like, maybe you like lice. Like maybe that's like the entomology of cosmetology. Like that's like, Ooh, I like the phrase. <laughs> that's some good branding right there. You like that? And so I do, I really do. <laughs> so maybe that's what that is. I'm not really sure. But then we had to shut the shop down and like disinfect everything. I went home. I didn't even have lice on me. I touched her head for like literally a minute and I slept with olive oil all over my head. I washed my sheets. I washed everything that you could come in contact with because I was convinced I had it. I even had a client that had 100%. to cancel their appointment because they had, they got lice. They didn't even step foot in the shop and I put olive oil all over my head. Cause I felt like nope. I got it. Cause she called me and said that she had it or her kid, her daughter had nope. it. Nope. 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 So I guess like if I'm thinking of that, then yes, I do get why you get creeped out. So maybe it's just, I can hear about it. I just maybe can't see it. No, it's like when she was telling the story about the police officers mm. where it's like, I can talk about it all day. Like, let's talk about it. But there is no way in hell once I see the visual of it, no. that I'm like, I'm in it. Nope. Count nope. me out. Like literally it's just like in my head, I'm thinking, do you watch new girl or did you watch new girl? It's no. not on anymore. Mm -mm. Ugh, never I mind. know, but there's this great character. He's so funny. And every time he's in like an uncomfortable situation, he like moonwalks out of a <laughs> room and I'm like, that would be me just like backing up. Like I'm out of here. <laughs> like this cannot. Slow walking no, back. Exactly. Yep. Bye. Yeah, no. Didn't do it. No. But she was great. Oh. She was great. And I will say, like, one of the things that I love so much about our podcast is, like, like she said, like, she didn't even know that this world existed. And so if you're a bug lover and you love true crime, yeah. like, it's the best of both worlds. I love it. All right. Well, until next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time.